Well, good morning. You may be seated. I want to thank you for your prayers. I wasn't feeling great last week or at the beginning of this week, but I'm feeling much better now. But as a result of me being a little foggy, I gave the wrong passage, gospel passage to Jane this week. What Jan, as if a gospel passage can be wrong, but I'm not preaching on the one that Jan read. And so for us all to be on the same page, let me actually read the one that I'll be preaching on. It is from Luke 4. And it begins at verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and the great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their own town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So this is part two of what we began to talk about last week. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John wrote those words in his gospel. And in our gospel reading today, Luke seems to be illustrating Those words. It is almost as if the entire Bible works together as one large narrative with a single inspiration behind it. All right, that was a little sarcasm. I didn't like that we didn't get a big laugh there. Let me be clear. The Bible is one long narrative with one inspiration working behind it. And therefore, John and Luke are working together by the power of the Holy Spirit in their writings. We are in part two of Luke's account. And last week we talked about how Jesus proclaims three things to his hometown crowd in Nazareth. He reveals the identity of the king, he defines the scope of the kingdom, and he affirms the dynamic power by which the kingdom is built. In the passage and sermon that Jesus refers to, the year of the Lord's favor. This is another way of saying the year of jubilee. It is spoken of uh, throughout the Old Testament, but especially in Exodus chapter 25. The year of Jubilee. During the year of Jubilee, God's people would demonstrate and proclaim his ideal living and harmony with one another. They would proclaim his good intentions to those who were inside and outside of the Jewish people. The year of Jubilee extended to both Jews and Gentiles. Under Jewish law, once every 50 years, the year of Jubilee would happen once every 50 years. So really, for most people, once in a lifetime is when this was called for, once every 50 years, for most people. 
And every 50 years during the year of Jubilee, land that was, was just left fallow, it was unworked. They would have worked hard for the years previous to that 50 years to store up enough food. And they would stop farming. They would even let the land rest during the year of Jubilee. There's a whole other sermon about how God is here to redeem and restore all of creation, but we'll not preach that sermon today. And in the year of Jubilee, day laborers who farmed that land and who were often very poor were able to rest and celebrate and still get paid during the year. During that year of Jubilee, indentured servants, their debts were forgiven. Their obligation to their lender released. And they could go on living their lives. In the year of Jubilee, land that was sold to pay a debt or given to satisfy a debt would be returned by the lender to its original owner. And they could have it back again. Debt paid. Debt forgiven. The year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was extended to the sojourner and the foreigner and the indentured servant and the laborers. Jews were to show Gentile the Lord's favor and loving kindness in hopes of wooing them to Yahweh. This is critical. In fact, the observation weekly of Sabbath was a wooing of those who were outside the people of God to God himself. Rest would be extended to those who were not Jews. The year of Jubilee was the proclamation and demonstration of the Lord's favor on all of creation. It was a proclamation and demonstration of the mission of God to people. Now, I know that's long. But I don't know how to preach this sermon without being a little precise about the year of Jubilee. Because the hearers in the synagogue, the reason we only have one line about it is because it would have been clear to them just with the line, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus adds to his scripture reading. I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The hearers in the synagogue in Nazareth would absolutely have known that the message was clear. Here's the thing about the year of Jubilee. Many scholars believe that the year of Jubilee was never actually observed by the nation of Israel. There's no evidence in history. There's no evidence in biblical literature. The prophet Isaiah, the King Jesus, actually tell us in different parts that it was not observed. It is as if the standard was too high. That the promise was too good. That the cost was too great. The year of Jubilee was simply an unrealized wish dream. Oh, if only. If only. When Jesus preaches in the synagogue... He talks about the scope of his kingdom. And he is clear that the year of Jubilee is no longer just a wish dream. That that was about to change. That he was here to make it actual reality. He's clear about the scope of his kingdom. And he is clear 
that he is the king promised by the prophets. At this point in Jesus' ministry, there was no dispute that he was a Jewish rabbi. There's no dispute here. In fact, even really his opponents, his religious opponents, aren't questioning that he's a rabbi. He's got the three criteria that you need to be classified as a rabbi. He was a Jew, he was a teacher, and he had pupils. He had disciples. He had people following him and learning, right? There's really, there's some objective criteria to being a rabbi, and he had them. And at this point, even the Jewish leaders later on, when they're opposing Jesus, they call him rabbi. They're not, they're not questioning that he's a teacher. Um, and so that's important to know because Jesus is often relegated to rabbi alone. And today we see that he's being relegated by his hometown crowd to merely a rabbi. He was a rabbi, objectively. See, his identity is in question in this passage. But something's different about this rabbi, and we're told toward the end what's different. His word possessed authority. His word possessed authority. You see, scribes and Pharisees, other rabbis, priests, they taught from other people's interpretations of the law very often. They, they, they opened up what other people said about the law. And over time, this began to get very watered down in their teaching. And scribes, just let's take them for a minute, they were known for their attention to study and detail. And this is good. Study and detail is excellent. That is a good thing. But... Over time, what happened to their teaching is it became focused on other people's idea about what prophets said and about what was, in the, what was in the scripture at that time, what we call the Old Testament. They began to be diluted and watered down. Their teaching then, what started to happen is their teaching began to exclude certain groups of people, not based on scripture, but based on what other people said about scripture. According to the scribes, The kingdom of God was for men, not women, for the rich, not the poor, for the physically healthy, not the sick, by the way, for the formerly educated, not the commonly educated, and most importantly, for Jews, not Gentiles. When the people heard Jesus teach from the law and the prophets, They had this strong reaction. They were astonished. They marveled. They were blown away, if you will. We're told in many places that his teaching had real authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. And it astounded people. Scribes had control that was made up of manipulation and exclusion and coercion It was orchestrated to gain and hold earthly power. But the difference between Jesus' message and their message is that he had actual authority. And in this case, people are astounded because he has actual authority to bring about the year of the Lord's favor. It's astounding. The scope of the kingdom is both and. It does not exclude based on status or religion or personhood. And the messenger of the kingdom is not merely a rabbi. He is the king bringing good news. Yet, as clear as this was, 
as much as this was proclaimed in authority and hoped for, there was a problem. Nazareth, we have a problem. <laughs> that is a bad pastor joke. I'm sorry. I'll try to avoid those. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, it's not a clarifying question about Jesus' identity. They know who he is. It is this dude? The carpenter's son? Him? Who is this guy? Is this not Joseph's son? But the question really isn't that big of a deal. It is their reaction that's the bigger problem. They were astounded without accepting. They were impressed without acquiescing. They were moved without moving to action. They heard and did not receive. They, Jesus' hometown crowd, reject his identity and the scope of his kingdom almost immediately. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's kid? And then Jesus calls them on something. It's not a, by the way, we get one side of the conversation. Remember, the gospel writers are all clear. In fact, John says this clearly. I can't write everything about every account. He's just, it's just be too much. Jesus did so much. We have to get this down into a workable work of a piece of literature, a narrative. And so John, the, the gospel writers are really clear that what they're doing is they're, they're giving us the whole story, the big picture, you know, the 10,000 foot view. And so what we have here is one side of a conversation. Jesus starts to answer the question. Isn't this Joseph's kid? And Jesus starts answering the question. We get, no doubt you'll say, you know, physician, heal thyself. No doubt you'll want me to perform some miracles. And so that's what the people were asking. Even though his words were delivered with great authority, they can't accept him. And so they want some proof. They want Jesus to do something for them. That he's done other. And then there's this verse in here, really important. They want him to do things that they've heard he's done other places. When you read the gospel writers, don't don't miss little words like this. Not that they believed he did in other places. Hey, we heard you did this in Capernaum. We don't believe you. Show us. We want to see your identity as king. We want to see the scope of your kingdom. Show us. Now, we say throughout Epiphany, that Jesus clearly reveals himself as the king, and today he clearly reveals himself as king to both Jews and Gentiles. He, he is including everybody. This is perfectly clear today. And by the time this conversation happens, I want to be really clear. i got to be precise again, sorry, but Luke moves this story up in chronology. This actually probably happens quite a bit later because you'll notice if you're reading it, he goes back. Jesus wouldn't have walked the 20 miles. He was in Capernaum, now he's in Nazareth, and then he goes back to Capernaum. Luke is moving this up. This probably happened, this account probably happened quite a bit later in Jesus' work. I'm saying all that to say this. People absolutely knew who he was by this point in time. 
when we read it, sometimes we're like, well, Jesus heals somebody and then problem solved. Like, like, they, like, right, come on, let's just be human for a minute. We read it and go, well, why didn't he just heal somebody? This is easy. Show your power. No, what Jesus is saying is, you don't need me to do anything else. You have heard it and you have seen it. You have heard it and seen it from others. You have heard it and seen it from me. You know that I'm the king and you are clear about the scope of my kingdom. The year of Jubilee is here. And yet, they're saying, nah, show us. Well, what are they really saying? Well, they really, they want the hometown boy to bring some hometown favor to the hometown crowd. That's what's going on here. When they ask Jesus to do the work, you know the old question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is a real question. Nazareth is not widely respected. And the hometown crowd is like, hey, wait a minute. This is our guy for our purpose. He is gonna, he's going to put us on the map. He's going to change everybody's perception of us. Oh, this is awesome. Jesus, change some water into wine. You've done it. Heal some sick people. You've done it. Make some lame people walk. You've done it. Show our hometown. Put us on the map. Give us a position in place. That's what they're asking for here. And so Jesus responds. Not quite as they had hoped. He brings up a very painful, in fact, the most painful part of Jewish history. He takes them back to Elijah and Elisha. He takes them back to a time when God's prophets come with words and actions of judgment on his people because they were not a people who were about the scope and kingdom of God. They were excluding others. They were worshiping false gods, all while calling themselves the people of God. They were following lesser kings and trying to establish lesser scopes of kingdoms. And God sends prophets to judge them. That would have been painful enough. But Jesus reminds them of something else. Those prophets were not received in their own land either. It wasn't Jewish widows who received them. It was Gentile widows. It wasn't Jewish leaders who welcomed the identity and scope of God Almighty. It's Gentile leaders, Naaman the Syrian. Interesting story. Naaman goes kicking and screaming too, but okay, different story. And in so doing, Jesus says something. He prophesies to them. The Jews in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown crowd, the people in place where he should have been best received are so enraged at the identity of the king and the scope of his kingdom that they try to kill their hometown hero. This is not a metaphor. In fact, what they were most likely trying to do is throw, them down a, throw him down a short cliff so that they could hurl big rocks and stone him. That's most likely what's going on here. They were getting ready for... By the way, Jesus is... This is now the second attempt, we're told, 
in the Gospels at trying to kill Jesus. The first was by Herod, the king, who also didn't like the identity of the king and the scope of his kingdom. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. So there's the story. So what? You know, we're trying to answer an epiphany. So what? What does it mean to us tomorrow? That's a great story. But, but how does it work in our everyday life? How does it change my heart and change my actions? How do I take it tomorrow morning to work and to school and into my home and into my neighborhood? So what that Jesus has been clearly identified and clearly reveals the scope of his kingdom? So what? There's not only bad news in this story. There is also very, very good news. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is good news in this story. Jesus is making a way for all people to receive him. And as many who, as who receive him, who believe in his name, have the right to become the children of God. Those of us who have received Jesus, we, the people of God, have the heavenly right to follow the king by proclaiming and demonstrating the scope of his kingdom through dynamic power to bring peace and to show kindness and to offer love. We've got this amazing gift. It's good news for everyone, for Jews and for Gentiles, for men and women, rich and poor, sick and well. Everyone who receives him has a heavenly right. And this is good news for us all. Maybe today you've not received Jesus. And, and you know, I know I'm talking to a church, you know, room full of church people. I, I get it. But maybe you're just thinking now, you know, I don't know that I've ever personally said, I'm going to accept Jesus. I'm going to receive him as the king that he is, clearly identified himself to be. And I am going to accept the scope of that kingdom clearly. Maybe you've never done that for the first time. Maybe, maybe if you're a child in the room, you've been working off of your parents' faith. Or maybe you've been working off of a faith that comes with going to church all the time. Or culturally liking church and liking Jesus. Or maybe you've even been astounded and marveled at him. But to quote the title of a book, you kind of like Jesus, but you don't really like what he's about. Then there's a call today. We'll have people praying up here. If you've never done that or you're not sure and you want to just talk it out with somebody and pray it before God, today's a great day to do it. To receive this king. There's also... A warning in our passage today for those of us who would say, no, we've done that. We're the people of God. And I want to say something. Warnings are good news too. Because if nothing else, our king is super clear about the scope of his kingdom. Like that's what epiphany is about. There is no ambiguity in what he expects of us. Amen? This is good news. And there's even warnings like don't do that. Do this. There's a warning for us today. 
There are two categories in this story. Those who received him and those who did not receive him. This is really important. There is no third category of those who sort of received him. This is good news. It is unambiguous. Two choices is always easier than three choices. And there are only two. To receive or to not receive. So my question today is on which side are you firmly grounded? And before you just say, well, the, the did receive part, like, I'm, I'm over here, I, I got it. We have this temptation. Our hearts are prone to wander. Not to the not receive. Really, honestly, I don't think that's the, honestly, right? I think the prone to wander is there's got to be a third thing here. Of course I can still protect my own kingdom. Of course I cannot observe the year of Jubilee and still be over here. There's got to be a mix somehow between receiving and not receiving. There's got to be some way based on my own human will. I love the verse, how John reads it. My own human strength that I can self-protect or protect a different way of life or keep myself grounded in a different means. I don't really have to be all in with the king and his kingdom, do I? This is good news, friends. There is no third choice. We are called to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are invited and welcomed as his children. We are empowered to be people of shalom, peace, love, and kindness. We are privileged and honored to join the king in the scope of his kingdom work. So, today, so what is the question? Well, here's what I would ask. I would ask that we begin here in the next two minutes of silence to begin to ask ourselves this question before God. Search me and know me, God. Shine a light on any place in my heart that is different than what you say, that is wicked. And in our two minutes and throughout the week, what I'm asking you to do is just ask yourselves before God, Is there another kingdom? Is there a third way I'm trying to live, God? Is there people I'm trying to exclude? Am I trying to hold on with fear and anger and hate something you offer with peace and kindness and love? Like, is there something going on in my heart that's not quite right? Am I a Nazarene in the worst sense of the word? Or... Am I a child of God, which you have freely offered? Let's start now. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. We offer this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.